Uh, Blink-182 is back. Hockey's back tonight in North America. There was a few games in Europe last week. My name's Haley Salvian. Interesting morning. Started off with the Blink-182 news. I'm excited. Let me know if you guys are. You're going to go to a show? You're going to listen to the new album? Kind of fun. This is a new show on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central with me, Haley Salvian. I'm with you for the next hour alongside Logan Gordon, one of your hosts on Sportsnet 960. Logan, you want to say hello? Hello, Haley. How are you? Good. This is exciting. This is fun. How are you today? I'm really good. There's been lots going on. And yeah, the Blink-182 news to top it all off. I know. It started off uh, strong and, and things just kind of kept happening today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so exactly. We'll see what else is next. But, you know, before we start, Hockey Central, it's available here on Sports at 960. It's also available on demand on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a busy first show. We're going to have Katie Strang from The Athletic on to discuss the Hockey Canada news this morning. Again, it's not all pop punk music. There's some pretty important stuff going on in the world of hockey. So Katie's going to join us in about 10 minutes or so to talk about Hockey Canada, the news today that Scott Smith is out as CEO. The board is stepping down, so she'll be on. And then Pat Steinberg is going to be here to chat some Calgary Flames, some more news out of Calgary today. As you just heard, if you were listening to the Eric Francis show, it was on today, Tuesday instead of Monday, because the holiday he had uh, Bradtree Living on to talk about the Michael Stone signing, $750,000 contract, turned that PTO again into a one-year deal. Kind of the worst-kept secret. Probably not even a secret. I think we all knew that Michael Stone was going to be back. He's kind of inevitable, and it... And it kind of rocks. I like Michael Stone a lot. Before we get into all of that, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening, whether you're listening live now or you're going to listen on the podcast later, listen on demand. Um, as mentioned, this is a new show on Sportsnet, Hockey Central. It's going to be a hockey-focused show um, with some focus on the Flames. So we're going to try as much as we can to go around the league, do some previews, tee up matchups. If there's big stories, we're going to lead with that. If there's big stories out of Calgary, we're going to lead with that. It's going to be a mix. I'm really excited to do this because I had a lot of fun covering the Calgary Flames. If you know me, I was the Calgary Flames beat writer for the last two seasons in Calgary before moving on to a national role with The Athletic with a focus on league-wide stories and women's hockey. This is really exciting for me because I'm really happy that I just get to keep talking about hockey in Calgary. I loved my time covering the team. The fans are great. So this is a really awesome and fun way for me to stay connected with hockey fans in Calgary, even though I'm going to be doing some more national stuff in terms of my writing. So we'll do some national stuff on the show. We'll do some flame stuff on the show, of course. Again, debut show, we're having Pat Steinberg on. He's, uh, he's awesome. He's the host of Flame Talk. Flames Talk, excuse me, on Sports at 960, and he's going to come on, dissect some stuff. Daryl Sutter says today there's not going to be a captain, or they're not going to name one for opening day. I'm going to talk about Michael Stone and whatever else Pat wants to do. Maybe I'll ask him for some tips on how to host a radio show. Who's to say? Um, but, you know, Logan, I want to bring you on here, too, because there were the two games in Prague last week. Nashville won both of them, so they've got a nice lead on, on the leaderboard for the President's Trophy already, four-point lead. We got two games tonight, Tampa Bay against the New York Rangers. That goes at 5.30 Mountain, 7.30 Eastern. Vegas Golden Knights, LA Kings, 8 o'clock Mountain, 10 o'clock Eastern. Stanley Cup champions, Colorado Avalanche, kick off their season Wednesday versus Chicago. Tons of games on the slate on Wednesday, by the way. Flames have to wait until Thursday for their season opener versus the Avs. But Logan, I'm curious, is there a game in these first two days that interests you the most, like while we're waiting for the Flames to come on? Like, is there one game that you circled and you're just, you're going to be there on the couch, you're excited, you're like going to put in a shift because there's something <laughs> coming up that you've got to watch? Honestly, for me, Haley, it is the Lightning Rangers one tonight. It, yes, it's the first game in North America, but to me, there's so many storylines about this one that intrigue me. Is Tampa Bay sort of done with their dynasty act now? I think like. It feels to me in the East, at least, there's a lot of people talking about a lot of teams that aren't Tampa Bay, and I'm not entirely sold that this team is out of the running when it comes to mm -hmm. competing for a Stanley Cup. I, I look at Kucherov and Stamkos and Braden Point are still there. I mean, they were just in an Eastern Conference final not that long <laughs> ago, so it, it feels like we're talking you know, too soon about the demise of Tampa Bay, and I'm really curious about what New York is. I mean, 
they took a big step last year, and continuing that, I think, can be the hardest part for an NHL contender. They've got some really young guys there. They've named a captain. They've got Adam Fox, who Flames fans know well. I think mm-hmm. they're right in a contending window. I think you started off with a great one tonight that's got a, a ton of intrigue to it. I'm really, I'm with you. I'm really curious just more overall about what the Eastern Conference is going to look like this season. I know this is in Calgary and this is this is going to be a big Flames focused show, but the East is really interesting this year just in terms of what are the teams that were on the bubble last year or completely out? What are they going to look like now? Are the Boston Bruins going to be able to weather the storm with all their injuries? There's no Brad Marchand to start. Charlie McAvoy, um, Mike Riley gets waived. You know, there's a lot of questions in Boston. Can they get through that initial wave? Or are they going to get sunk before they can even start like the New York Islanders last year? Um, what are the New York Islanders going to look like this season? Was last year a fluke because of all of the the COVID? They didn't have their arena. They had all those injuries. Um, what are they going to look like? You brought up a good one with, with the Rangers. Are they going to take another step in the right direction? Can can they rely on being a really good power play team with a really good goalie and Igor Shesterkin? Are they going to be a better overall five-on-five team? Are they going to get four lines going? Um you know, are the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals, is this the year that they're not going to make the playoffs? I, I feel like I will believe that when I see it. It's kind of the way I felt about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I will bet against them to make the Stanley Cup final when I see them not do it. Um, obviously, they didn't do it last year. Or they did do it last year, excuse me. So we'll see with Tampa. Um, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins and, and the Washington Capitals, uh, uh, who knows when their window of contention is going to close. Mm-hmm. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a ton of questions in the East. And, you know, what are the Sens going to do? What about the New Jersey Devils? I, they're very curious. Are they going to get better goaltending than what Mackenzie Blackwood gave them last year and, and take another step? I'm a big fan of Jack Hughes. So the East is going to be there's – some, there's, some, there's a lot to watch out there for sure. There's a ton. And remember last year, Haley, when it felt like we had the eight teams settled before what was supposed to be that all-star – Olympic break that was sort of messed with last year. I mean, we mm-hmm. knew who the eight playoff teams were in the East for months ahead of time. We just worked on seeding this year. I feel like it's going to be completely different because there's, I think, a number of teams that have to prove to us, like you mentioned, the the Bruins, the Penguins, the Capitals. Are you still actually contenders or not? And there's kind of a new crop. I like New Jersey a lot. I'm still waiting for them to sort of ascend with all these high draft picks to where they should get to. What is Columbus in all of this with Johnny Gaudreau there now? I think the East is is really intriguing. The, we haven't even talked about the President's Trophy winners last year. Florida made massive <laughs> changes. Are they still? I've seen people predicting the East without the Panthers in the playoffs. There's a ton of intrigue there. The Panthers are a really interesting topic because they get Matthew Kachuk, and Flames fans are very familiar with him and, and what happened this season. He He's not going to re-sign long-term in Calgary, so... The, you know, they trigger the trade with this short list of teams that he would accept a deal to. Florida comes in with the, with the big Mackenzie Weger and Huberto first round pick, Colshwin, um offer. And now I'm just, I'm not sure about where I stand with the Florida Panthers because I think they got the best individual player in that deal. I think maybe Jonathan Huberto has better um, specific skill sets. Like I think Huberto is the most skilled player in that deal. But I think Kachuk, because of his age, et cetera, is probably the best asset that was moved. But the Florida Panthers lost a lot of players last year. They lose Huberto and Weger. They they lose Mason Marchment. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Florida Panthers. The big news of the day, though, as mentioned, Hockey Canada announces that Scott Smith is out as CEO effective immediately. Their entire board has also agreed to step down and make room for a new slate of directors. That news came this morning a few hours after Bauer announced it would pause its multi-million dollar partnership with Hockey Canada, yet another domino to fall in terms of sponsors and provincial federations distancing themselves from the organization. This is a good first step, but we're not at the finish line yet. And I think I've seen a lot of, I think a lot of people are on the same page in in the sense of saying, you know, good, you know, it's almost happened a little bit too late. Um, and I think sometimes this can feel like an accomplishment because it felt like it was never going to happen. Um, so again, this is, this is not the finish line. There's more to come. Um, but let's bring in Katie Strang from the athletics. She's been covering this 
for the company for a really long time. She's the first guest on the show. I wish it was for better circumstances. I wish we could just chat about something maybe more fun. But let's bring in Katie. I wish we could too, but congrats on your show. I'm really excited for you, and I appreciate you for having me on about such an important topic. Yeah, no, of course. You know, it, it, it's the, the biggest news of the day. I know the, the NHL is starting, and, and you've got games, and, and there's all these previews, et cetera, but, but this is really important, and, and you've been at the forefront of covering this. So when this came through your inbox, Katie, like, what was your initial reaction when you read through this? Like, what do you make of this morning's news that Scott Smith is out and the board of directors, directors, excuse me, are stepping down? I was actually slightly surprised. Um, I think largely because it's such a stark contrast from what we saw from Hockey Canada, you know, just one week ago. I mean, I was expecting a certain level of, you know, contrition and just being really reserved on their part, you know, as they entered those parliamentary hearings. And instead, we saw them strike quite a defiant tone um, with lawmakers. And, you know, they seemed very resistant to change. They seemed really dug in on, you know, what I think they viewed as, you know, trying to create a sense of stability and continuity. But what I think most people on the outside saw as, um, just having a disconnect from reality about the way they viewed the situation and the greater public viewed the situation. So, um, you know, I thought if it were to happen, it would probably happen like on Friday afternoon news dump before a holiday weekend. That didn't happen. Um, of course, Andrea Skinner, the board chair, did resign that weekend. Um, but I thought they might be seen if they could just kind of wait it out. That's been sort of the approach for much of this unfolding saga is you got the sense that they were digging in their heels to see if they could wait for this to blow over. For sure. And I think I was surprised too, when I saw it and, and I saw some of the reaction, you know, almost not, I mean, I guess you could call it celebrating the move. I think some people were just so happy to see it because they didn't think that it was coming. Like there was a, there was a point in time, as you mentioned, where this just seemed like, the last possible option and they were going to dig in their heels and they were going to wait it out. So I guess my question for you, Katie is, is why now? What was it? The Bauer news this morning, was that the, the tip of the iceberg? Um, is it something that might be coming from the Cromwell report that they want to get in front of? Did the board just finally decide, Hey, maybe we should step down. Like why did this happen when it did? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, I'd probably need to do more reporting to be able to speak on that with any degree of confidence or specificity. You know, I've been kind of working the phones all morning to try to get a sense of how this decision um, was made. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I think it would be sort of naive to think that like, you know, Bauer was the last straw for them. I mean, I think in a more macro sense, it's probably much more likely that you know, the fact that they're hemorrhaging sponsors left and right and have really seen the provincial federations break rank. You know, I, I'm sure that has sort of rattled their sense of resolve. My, I imagine they have probably had some very intense discussions in the latter part of last week and into the weekend um, to, to try to figure out a way to salvage um some institutional credibility moving forward. I, I don't know if they, you know, it's going to take a lot of time to, I think, rebuild that level of equity within the hockey community. And as you astutely pointed out, I think this is a first step and not a final step. Um, you know, I think over the past couple of months, there have been some cultural issues that have revealed themselves through, you know, reporting and these parliamentary hearings, et cetera. Um, and, you know, seeing a, you know, a mass resignation at the top um, is certainly a signal that they are recognizing or acknowledging that there are some cultural issues, but it takes some real introspection and, you know, some real, you know, I would say pointed analysis to get a sense of how this culture was constructed and how it's going to be rectified moving forward. 
So I think, you know, you, you mentioned the parliamentary hearings and you were covering that. And, and again, you've been doing a great job with all of this. Was there one thing or two that really stood out from those hearings and in your observations with them? Like what, what, what was the big things that you kind of took away from that? Okay, for the last one, I would definitely say the light sting on comment. That to me encapsulated so many perspectives and so much of like the attitudes that we've seen on display over the past couple months. And I think that resonated and reverberated in such a way that I get the sense I'm not the only one that had that takeaway. Um, To me, that really showed, I thought, a level of institutional arrogance um, and a, like I said, a lack of, you know, um, introspection. And it, it, to me, felt like they just were not rooted in reality um, to think that, you know, leadership being removed is, is some sort of death knell for hockey in Canada, which is absurd, if we're being honest. I mean, it is so deeply entrenched in the fabric of Canadian culture, and it is almost always like, you know, buoyed and bolstered by, you know, the moms and dads that are bringing their kids to hockey, the volunteers, the coaches, the officials, um, you know, the people at the grassroots level that are making sure that this game is robust and flourishing and people have access to. So I thought that was such a, I thought it was a really disrespectful thing to say. And Mm -hmm. I, I took it that a lot of people were very insulted by that. And it was just, it was very tone deaf, which I think has been a pretty consistent criticism of Hockey Canada um, throughout this situation. And, and it made me feel bad for the people inside Hockey Canada that I think are committed to change and, and did get into this because they believed in the core mission of, you know, m- making this game accessible to kids across the country and the amateurs and, um, you know, I, I didn't think that really honored the intention and the spirit of their work either. Mm-hmm. It was almost, you know, holding on for their own sake because they thought that was what was for the best of the game. When in reality, it really just seemed to snowball and mm-hmm. maximize the damage um, to ultimately get to a place that, you know, most people believed it should get to, which is a clean slate and and trying to work to make hockey better for people in Canada. Because that's that's what was lost is I think they viewed themselves as more important than like the children and the families and the people who, who play hockey in the sport. And, and, you know, especially when we're looking at what actually brought some of this to light, which was the sexual assault allegations in May, like there's people who don't play hockey who've been impacted by this. Um, And it was just a complete flip of, of who the focal point should be on. It's not about you. It's about people in this country who are impacted in this sport in any way. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, you know, I told a lot of people, like, I was expecting those hearings, that round of hearings with, um, you know, the uh, the former board chair and current board chair to be relatively sedate. You know, they're, they're both lawyers. I thought they would be very sort of circumspect in what they said, very careful, very, um, you know, unwilling to, you know, play into any, like, rhetoric or anything like that. And, it, like, it, I think you really saw them trying to go on the offensive and, like, fight back to some degree, and it just blew up in their face. Um, and, you know, I think really, really did a tremendous amount of damage reputationally um, in, in squandering what little credibility they had left. Katie Strang is, is with us on Hockey Central on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Katie, what comes next? I know they need a new board. They're going to need new leadership. But what are the next steps here with Hockey Canada? So you mentioned the governance review. I think that will be very revelatory. I'm very curious to see what is unearthed in that. I mean, there's there's going to be access to certain documents and, um, you know, testimony, evidence that I think will be really interesting that sh- sort of opens up the hood so that we can see how Hockey Canada actually operates. Um, I think the most immediate question for me is who is going to comprise this interim management committee? And I've I've heard, you know, I've fielded a lot of discussion and calls and questions about that just in the past couple hours is, you know, what the future iterations of Hockey Canada looks like um, could be really, really different um, and really divergent depending on who 
is in place to kind of help chart the course for the future. Um, I think there are some people internally that there is a lot of reservation about those people um, ascending to those positions of power because I think that those people perhaps might represent some of the same qualities, um, you know, that we've seen on display the past couple of months. And then I think there are, you know, some people who are, you know, culture changers and drive culture and, you know, are innovative and inclusive um, that, you know, could have a really positive impact for the organization moving forward. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything that you want to see happen here, Katie? I know, and I know that's such an open-ended question, probably unfair given the amount of reporting that you put into this. So I'm, I'm sure you have to be careful, but you know, this seems like a, a space where they need to, you know, put people in these positions who actually want to see things get better, not just the same, which is essentially what you just said. But is there anything you really want to see happen here in the next, uh, you know, the coming months, I should say? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, you know, one thing, and this was a pretty consistent remark throughout the hearings as well, is people would point out how homogenous the hacky can the officials and the representatives that were speaking at Hockey Canada's behest were. I mean, it was like, you know, a bunch of middle-aged, older white guys. Um, And that does not reflect, you know, the sort of changing, like, demographics of of the sport anymore. And, you know, I think in order to innovate and to grow the game and to make, you know, the game sort of the best permutation of itself – you have to be able to reflect, um, you know, the the demographics of, of your game. So you're going to have to, like, you know, you have to have people from marginalized or traditionally underrepresented communities. You have to have women in positions of power and decision. It can't just be one. I mean, you have to be empowering individuals um, to actually have, you know, sway and and cachet within decision-making circles. Um, I would say the other thing that I think is important is, you know, you have to have buy-in from the top for cultural change. And, you know, one of the things that we've kind of heard consistently is that, you know, you can say one thing, but people are smart, like both inside and outside the organization, like they can recognize whether there's buy-in for change at the top or not. And that is generally where change happens is it has to trickle down, but there has to be a standard set at the top. So I think, you know, seeing meaningful um, steps towards actual change is, you know, a requirement for, I think, anyone to have confidence that this will look any different moving forward. Katie, thank you so much. Again, you do such important work and it's a pleasure to have you on in the debut show. And and I really appreciate you and everything that you do. Thank you. Thanks. All right. That was Katie Strang on the Atlas pizza hotline brought to you by Atlas pizza sport Atlas pizza and sports bar, excuse me, a 14 time consumer choice award winner for takeout and delivery call four zero three two eight. 248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Logan, did you have any takeaways from Katie talking? I mean, it's always great having her on. She's, she's a great colleague at the athletic. She does really important work as mentioned. It's, it's a lot of news. I know there's a lot to parse through there, but I just think this is a great first step and it's, it's, I'm hopeful that there are going to be steps taken to make things better. Yeah, there was a lot to dive into there. I think the biggest thing I took away was the was sort of Katie's reaction was the same one that I think a lot of people had hearing those lights out comments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that to me, and I think listening to what Katie said, really amplified the problem in a lot of people's minds that, or maybe opened their eyes up to what the problems were, because I don't know that we ever thought it was that deep that this leadership group really felt and honestly believed that if they weren't around the day-to-day hockey operations around Canada just wouldn't happen. That that's how arrogant this group of leadership was that they truly believed if their presence wasn't around, the lights would be off in buildings across the country. I mean, that's a, that's a level of arrogance that, 
few hold and for our national body of hockey to think that highly of themselves incorrectly, by the way, um, mm-hmm. to me just struck me as, okay, this, this is really, I, I don't want to say burnt to the ground, but it almost felt that way to me. And it was curious to see that Katie had the same reaction. And I am kind of like you, I'm curious where this goes now. Absolutely. Well, we'll see. So as mentioned off the top of the show, we're going to transition to some Calgary Flames. Pat Steinberg is going to be coming up in about 15 minutes or so. He's the host of Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. But before we bring Pat in, before we head to the break, uh, let's chat a bit here, Logan. I know you've got your own show where I'm sure you talk a lot about the Flames. You talk with Peter Labardius, but uh, it's it's opening day. So I'm sure there's not going to be enough Flames Talk in Calgary before the season opener on Thursday against the Colorado Avalanche. Some news today, again, Michael Stone signs a one-year deal. He turns that PTO into another contract with the Flames. Nicholas Maloche was put on waivers, which kind of signaled that this was coming. Um, Daryl Sutter says no to a captain. We'll talk about all that with Pat. But for you, Logan, is there something out of that three that sticks out to you? And I guess I should say, uh, Blasty's back. Third yeah, alternate yes. announced. We've yeah. got a slate of games where that's going to be back. I love the Blasty. I'm curious to know what people think. Send us a note on the text line. It's 960-960. I love Blasty, but I I see people don't really like it very much. So I don't know. What do you think about all of that? Just throw it all over. (laughs) Blasty is a controversial topic on the text line. I know this uh, going back to 2020 when they had it during the uh, COVID-shortened year and we were sort of playing games without fans. And I know Blasty is controversial. I'm a 90s kid, so I grew up loving Blasty, and I'm very excited that it's back once again and that we'll get to see it in person this year. The Stone one's interesting to me because I I really wondered what was happening on this Flames blue line after the last preseason game finished up. After Yusuf Alamaki got claimed by Arizona, it it certainly felt as though there was a chance that maybe the Flames were going to go with Connor Mackey and Nicholas Malosh on their back end. But, I mean, how can you deny what Michael Stone's been to this team? He really is that perfect seventh defenseman and he brings some elements to this team that are I think really valuable I mean just outside of the the booming slap shot that finds the back of the net very often (laughs) I mean I I don't know how many teams can say they've got a guy like Michael Stone who's earned the coach's trust and to be that guy and to be that good teammate even if he only plays 20 or 30 games a season I still think there's value in that nowadays Haley and I think that it seemed like an inevitability that he was going to find his way onto this Flames roster just based on his play this preseason too. It's always really funny. I think my favorite thing on social media is when people who don't really watch the Flames or haven't seen Michael Stone just freak out whenever they see just a rocket from the point from Michael Stone. It's always the most pleasant thing I see on social media when the Flames are playing is is people coming to the realization that that guy is a bomb from the point. <laughs> oh yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, it doesn't get old. That's for sure. I'm sure flames fans appreciate it. There's been that, um, I think a real shift maybe in, in the perspective on Michael Stone. When I first got to Calgary, it was kind of like, you know, people would tell me like, Oh, he's probably me back. It, it is what it is, you know, whatever. And now it's like, yes, Michael Stone is back. I think he's, you know, he's gained the trust of the coach. Um, but the way he came in specifically last year, Um, in spurts especially in the playoffs like he just he's ready he does his job he's well prepared he's a good professional he's a good person I've personally really enjoyed any conversation I've had with Michael Stone in my time covering the Flames on a day-to-day basis so you definitely you've seen that shift in in people you know just being kind of happy that he's back because why not he's got like this cult following right yeah It's, it's kind of turned into that he went from you're right he went from this you know, sort of bigger time acquisition that Bradshaw Living knew from his time in Arizona to, look, he went through some pretty serious health problems. And is he the same defenseman that he was? No, but he's very serviceable. And I think Flames fans all, you know, start to edge towards the edge of their seats when uh, Michael Stone winds up for one of those patented slap shots (laughs) now. And it's just become this, he's become a fan favorite. It really has. And, And why not? I think he said so many great things there that, make him a fan favorite. He just, he never complains. It's never a, an issue with Michael Stone, whatever his role is. And those are valuable guys. And I mean, he's been in Calgary for a surprisingly long time now, Haley. Mm-hmm. He's one of the longer tenured members of this group, especially after the off season. So it's a lot of fun. I think Flames fans are going to be happy to see him back again. And it'll be interesting to see maybe he has an expanded role while we wait for Oliver Shillington to come back. 
Absolutely. And, and when you're looking at the the third pair, I think we can probably expect Connor Mackey and Nikita Zadorov to be that third pair and have Michael Stone in that seven defenseman role. I think there was signs that Connor Mackey had jumped Yuso Valimaki in the pecking order, in the organizational depth chart last season. Um, they were in LA on the road. Connor Mackey gets the call up first. Then Yuso Valimaki joins them. And Daryl Sutter essentially says, uh, you know, he's he's ahead. Connor is ahead of you. So that's why he got called up first. And, you know, you come into camp with a fresh start. You get to try to win your spot. And it looks like Connor Mackey did that, obviously, with Yuso Valimaki getting put on waivers and being claimed by the Arizona Coyotes the other day. So it looks like the blue line is kind of set again, as you mentioned, until Oliver Shillington comes back. He's not expected to start the season with the Flames due to personal reasons, and we'll give him that privacy. So a a ton to talk about with the Flames. We're going to head to break, uh, but when we come back, we're going to have Pat Steinberg to chat everything Calgary. He's my best friend, and he does a great job (laughs) talking about the Calgary Flames. I should just introduce him as my best friend, Pat Steinberg, is, is coming up on the show. Uh, he also has a job at Sportsnet doing stuff about the Flames. But Pat Steinberg's going to join us. Haley Salvian and Logan Gordon. This is Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960. Welcome back. It's Hockey Central, Sportsnet 960. With you for another 23 minutes, 20-ish minutes. With you for another little bit here. It's the debut show. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. Whether you're listening live or you're listening to this on demand. If you want to do both, Hockey Central is available on demand on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you prefer on your phone, you can listen to Hockey Central. We'll have the podcast feed up there for you. Logan, how are we doing? Day one, show one. I'm good. How are you feeling? How does it feel to be on radio live? (laughs) It's good. You know, I was doing some, some morning show stuff before. I do a lot of podcasting. But uh, we'll see. I think we'll we'll get into a rhythm. Things will be good. It's always a bit tough when it's still like preseason time. I just feel like I've been talking about the season starting for weeks. And I, I'm, I'm excited for games to start because we're going to have, you know, actual things in front of us to talk about. Sure, we can talk about the, the preseason or we can talk about the lines that we saw at practice today with the Calgary Flames. We can talk about news. But I'm really excited to actually talk about games. Yeah, you personally. Kind of, yeah, you miss the the day in day out sort of. I don't know if I want to call it analysis, but the it kind of is that right the the day in day of watching sixty minutes and and going through and picking up the little storylines because it feels like we we carry the same thread throughout the preseason and then we're waiting for it to actually start. But it, does it really mean all that much once it starts and we finally get into the the grind of eighty two games? And yeah, I'm with you. I just I'm ready for it to start for real, especially for the Flames, where we've had this five-day break in between for the season opener and preseason. Because now, and now, luckily, we've got lots of news yeah. to talk about today. But mm-hmm. most days, it's not this good when you're waiting for the regular season to start. Is there anything else for you? I know we talked a bit about Michael Stone, um, Malo, Malosh, Malosh on waivers, excuse me, um, last E. But I think the big one from last week and and. You know, I know Pat had his emergency podcast and, and Eric Francis talked a bit about it yes, or this morning on the Eric Francis show. I'm all turned around because of the Monday. It's usually Eric Francis show on Mondays, but he did it today because yeah. Monday was a holiday. So he talked about that about an hour ago. But, you know, seeing that Daryl Sutter is going to be on a multi-year extension, I know Bradtree Living in the, in the press conference or the interview afterwards was a bit tongue-in-cheek when he said multi-year, but he did end up saying that it's a two-year contract extension, so he'll have this season and then two more. And what I find the most interesting about that, I mean, it's a no-brainer. I don't think we need to discuss why Daryl Sutter was brought back. Um, It just makes a ton of sense. Why wouldn't you, based on what he did? I think the only way Daryl Sutter doesn't come back is if Daryl Sutter does not want to. Um, I mean, this is the, the coach of the year last season. He's... He's come in and he's doing what he said he would, which is get things back on track. And we saw that happen quite quickly. But I think the big thing for me when I hear that it's two years and you've got three more years of Daryl Sutter as the head coach, at least, is is that that kind of perfectly matches up with what most people would say is that perfect window of contention for this new Flames core. You've got Elias Lindholm locked in for a couple more seasons. You've got a lot of long-term contracts that... Everyone's already talked about ad nauseum that are going to age poorly because of their age, because of how much money, how much term they're being given. 
Um, but it doesn't really matter because we know the Flames are going all in right now. And they're going all in. They're trying to win in this next kind of three to four year window, maybe before the age curve starts to catch up with some guys. And, and they've kind of locked in the coach in that perfect window. You know, maybe they get a little close in year three and some guys are still looking pretty good. And then Elias Lindholm sticks around. Forgive me. I believe he only has, you know, two, two seasons left after this one. Um, so you've got that perfect window of contention lined up with, with the head coach that came in to get you there. And, and that for me is just another example of this organization going all in on this group in the next three to four years. Yeah, it just almost makes too much sense. And it was interesting because I think there was a small window here in Calgary, Haley, where I think we wondered about what was going to happen with Daryl Sutter if the mm-hmm. offseason didn't turn the way it did for the Calgary Flames, right? There's a world where maybe the Flames aren't in this contending window anymore after Johnny and Matthew leave. And that's kind of what I don't think Daryl was here for a rebuild or to help, you know, set things up for the next guy. I think Daryl was here to as you know, in his own words, finish that unfinished business that he talked about going back to 2003 and 2004. And the GM makes it a lot easier for him to want to sit around and, and be here as the coach and stick around with the off season that he had and puts you right back in that contending window. And if you're a contending team, a guy with, you know, the resume of Daryl Sutter, what he already did in year one, I think it's just, it makes too much sense to not have him back and be the guy. Absolutely. And to correct myself, I think I said Elias Lindholm had two more years after this one. It's just two more years flat. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2024, but we'll kick that can down the road. We don't need to start freaking out about what Elias Lindholm's next contract looks like. I think we've already had, not we, I should say Flames fans already had a pretty stressful summer with that. Um, But let's go to the Atlas Pizza Hotline. It's Pat Steinberg, uh, my best friend. This is how I'm going to introduce you now, Pat. Bestie. (laughs) Yes. Welcome. This What's is up? weird. How's the, how's the first show? <laughs> it's fine. We'll see. No, it's good. Everything's great. I'm really happy we had Katie Strang on to talk about Hockey Canada, and and you were the perfect guest to have on day one. Um, you know, I wanted you for the whole hour because I feel like you owe that to me after you had me on all of the time. True. Uh, True. Uh, yeah. I should come up with it, but it's fine. We'll just take you for... 15 minutes or whatever. I won't steal all of your time because you're still, you're probably the busiest person I know in this industry, actually, Pat. I'll give, uh, <laughs> I will give you the best 15 minutes of my day though. Uh, right. and I, uh, I heard, I heard Katie. That was good. That was a good get. That's a, that's a good way to kick it off. I know. And and then you, it's the perfect follow-up. What this is like the, the ideal one, a one B. This is Elias Lindholm and Nazem Kadri. This is the perfect, Centers up the middle for well, me I'll try not on day to, one. I'll try not to. Uh, I'll try not to completely anchor and <laughs> torpedo your show here. Yeah, on paper it looks pretty good, but we'll see at the end how you do, Pat. But you were at the ring today. Some news coming out. We'll start with Michael Stone turns his PTO into a one-year, two-way, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars contract. I don't think anyone's surprised by this, but what do you make of Michael Stone coming back to the Flames and 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 also the news that. Um, Malosh is on waiver, so we can assume that Michael Stone is going to be the seventh defenseman to start the season with the Flames. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it felt like this has been inevitable since I don't know he was announced on coming to camp on a PTO. It felt like this was going to happen, uh, I, and I think I think that they decided to go the PTO route so that they could see if whether it's Malosh or, or if it's you still Valimaki or, you know, Connor Mackey's had a good camp, but to see if anybody could jump in and say, this is my spot. And, and I clearly need to be the number three right side defenseman or on this third pair. And, and you can't send me to the American league. And I just don't know if anybody truly did that. Mackey's the guy who came closest, but the unfortunate part for him is that, he plays the left side or is a left shot. And as much as he's played the right side before, I don't know if that's an ideal situation for the Flames. And then he throw into the equation that Michael had a really good training camp and a really good preseason. It, it was, it was tough not to give the guy a contract. And so it, this thing has essentially been done now for three or four days, but they obviously didn't announce it on Monday when the final roster, the opening day roster came out. And a big part mm-hmm. of that I think is, you know, there's cap implications there. If you can wait an extra day to 
sign him to a contract. You, you bank one extra day of cap space from Monday to Tuesday. I think that played into it. And they, they wanted to make a decision as to who they were going to put on waivers, I think, to, to fill that, to, to be able to open up that spot. Because I really do think they'd like to go with 13-7-2 and, and, and not be carrying the maximum for cap reasons. And as we know, Daryl just doesn't like having a lot of guys around and doesn't like to be carrying a lot of extra bodies of practice. So, no, I, I don't think when, when we saw him practicing the last three or four days on the right side of Nikita Zadorov and saw Nick Malash and, and Connor Mackey kind of as that fourth pairing, it, it was pretty much telegraphed this was going to happen and just was uh, just was a matter of when he and the team were going to put pen to paper and make it official. So it's a one-year, two-way deal. Uh, I don't know if he was pushing for a one-way deal, but he gets the $750,000. He's probably going to be in the opening night lineup Thursday against Colorado and then we go from there and I'm really curious how Connor Mackey factors into this conversation. And then I'm really curious as to what happens with Oliver Shillington when he's ready to rejoin the team. But for now, I, I think that number three right side spot is Michael Stones to lose. And, and that's not even by default because dudes earned it. He had a really good camp. He had a really good preseason. He had a really good postseason last year. Like the guy has, I, I don't know if, our eyes are open to it because mm-hmm. we've known for quite some time how good, how, how, how good this guy is whenever he's called upon and how much of a disconsummate professional he is. But I think he's maybe opened some eyes elsewhere. And uh, it's, it's a cool story. I'm happy for him. Absolutely. I know that was a really big thing in the playoffs last year. You know, the Flames are trying to make it to round two or they're trying to beat the Edmonton Oilers. And, and a lot of the storylines are revolving around Michael Stone coming in and, and doing what he was doing you know, kind of pinch hitting for Chris Tanev, which is not an easy thing to do, especially after sitting for long stretches of the season and, and coming in and being ready to play not just regular season hockey, but postseason hockey. And we know how, you know, difficult that can be and how the the ante is just is up twofold, especially in a battle of Alberta. But one of the other things here, Pat, today, Daryl Sutter was asked if the Flames will name a captain this season. He said there's no need to name one. There's no clear-cut one. Uh, seems like he called Michael Backlund and Chris Tanev co-captains. Talked a bit about how demanding it can be to wear the C in a Canadian market. So where do you stand on this? Do you agree with no captain? For the time being, yeah, because it remains very similar to the conversation from a year ago where – I just don't know if there's a obvious choice. You know, the, the last two captains this team had, like the, the, these were very obvious choices. Mark Giordano was so telegraphed and so clearly the guy that should take over from Jerome Ginla after Jerome left. And you know, Jerome was the captain for a decade and or, or a little bit more than a decade. And, mm-hmm. and it was Craig Conroy who uh, w- was, was the guy who handed that seat to him and decided to step down wearing the captaincy himself. And that's not a knock on Connie, but you know, that was Connie's first stint with the flames. That's how long it's <laughs> been the last two guys. And, and Connery's probably listening right now, but that's like, oh, no. you know, it's been a while, <laughs> not on day one since Connie's first, <laughs> uh, since Connie's first go round as, as a player with the flames, like they had two obvious choices as team captain. And they both did in and around, give or take a couple of years on either side, a decade wearing the seat. Since Mark Giordano left for Seattle, there's been nobody that's been so obvious. There's been, yeah, well, what about Matthew Kachuk or maybe Johnny Gaudreau or what about Elias Lindholm or Andrew Montepani? And now it's, well, what about Nazem Kadri? He won the cup. What about Blake Coleman? He won the cup. Or what about Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger? They just committed nine years to this team. All of those are very valid points, but as of right now, I still think it would be forced. Huberto, Weger, Kadri haven't played a single regular season game as a member of the Flames. I think it would be yeah. a little premature to just slap the captaincy on them. So I think any one of those guys or any of the other guys that remain that we've talked about before, Backlund, Tanev, Manjapati, Lindholm, whoever, I think you could absolutely make a case for them down the road, I just don't think it needs to be today or by Thursday or when the season starts. I think you can wait and then make a decision and and actually allow it to become obvious. And I think I think Huberto could be an awesome guy. Just the way he carries himself, the the professional uh, professional air that he has about himself could absolutely see Jonathan Huberto being this team's captain. Nazim Kadri 
signed seven years, $50 million almost in this city in unrestricted free agency after winning a Stanley Cup. I think you could make a and, – and just the way he carries himself and the intensity he plays with, I think you could absolutely make a case he would be a great captain. And, and Backlund and Tanev, who have an extreme amount of respect behind closed doors inside that room – these guys would all be great choices. I just think you want it to develop naturally and you want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's going to be the right guy. Cause I think the flames would like it to be somebody who's going to be a captain for as long as Mark Giordano just was, or as long as Jerome McGinley was before. I don't think they want to be going through every two or three years, putting that letter on somebody else. So I, I'm, I, I never felt like it made this unbelievable sense that you had to do it. I think they would like to do it at some point for marketing reasons. I think they'd like to do it at some point for locker room reasons, but I just don't think it needs to be today and right now. It's never been for a shortage of options. Even last year, we could, as you mentioned, you can go through. It should be Matthew Kachuk, it should be Backlund, Tanev, Milan Lucic, etc. There's a lot of good leaders in that locker room. There's a lot of viable choices in that locker room. Um, the list doesn't stop with the few names that, that we listed here, Pat. You can make a case for so many people. I mean, if the Flames wanted yeah. to name a captain, they absolutely could because there's so many guys who could step in and do that. Um, but you don't need to rush it. You don't need to name a captain just to say that you did. And and we know that Daryl Sutter isn't going to do that. He made that pretty clear last year. He made that pretty clear this afternoon as well, uh, talking to media. So doesn't look like we're going to get a captain right away. I agree with it too. I'm with you, Pat. I'll be curious to see who ends up standing out as a leader in that room. And, and ultimately we can make our choices based on what we see in press conferences and, and what we see on the ice. But there's some guys who are actually in the room who are going to be able to, to make that decision based on what they see from the inside in the, in the coming months or even into next season. So um, I wanted to move on to the forward group because there's a, there's some really interesting kind of topics and conversations that we can have on, on what this team is going to look like. Obviously the top line is not the same. They lose two of the three players on the best line in the national hockey league last season, the Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk line, Jonathan Huberto. I think we can agree is, is your closest approximation to the playmaking, high-flying, scoring uh, left winger that that is lost in Johnny Gaudreau. But we've mm-hmm. seen Tyler Toffoli on that right side. He's not Matthew Kachuk, um, but he is a naturally gifted goal scorer. We have not necessarily seen that consistently in Calgary. So I'm curious your thoughts on how that top line is going to work and, and whether or not, like, do you think it should be Toffoli on that right side? Should it be Mangiapane? Do you like Mangiapane with Dubé and Kadri instead? Um, there's just a whole lot to sink into in the top nine, but I think the underlying theme is that they've got options. If not, you know, they probably need one more forward, I would say, in that top nine, like one good, you know, scoring winger, mm-hmm. one quick winger to, to round out that top nine for sure. Um, but for, they've got some options, I think. Right, Pat? For now, I think the... I. Th- as a top line for most of training camp. And that is Lindholm with Huberto and with Toffoli. Like that makes sense. They've basically been together since day one of training camp. You know, there were a couple of games where you know, Lindholm didn't play one game. And so Toffoli and, and Huberto had Rizicka as their center. But for the most part, they've been together exclusively at training camp. And, and mm-hmm. that's by design. There's, there's no doubt. Like that's not a, that's not a fluke. So they, they clearly want that trio to work. And I think there's, I think there's reason to, because you've got not only the best distributor, passer, whatever word you want to use, not only the best guy on the team, but maybe the best guy in the National Hockey League in, in just pure playmaking, passing ability, his ability to see things, his ability to find lanes, his ability to find sticks and tape and all that type of stuff is, is honestly the same. There's two or, other three guys, two or three other guys like that in the NHL, and he absolutely is one of them. So, so you have you have Huberto with two of your, and I think the two best finishers on the team. Because I don't know if the Flames have anybody better shooting from the outside and being able to finish on a uh, at a high clip from outside the the high quality scoring areas. Like they don't have anybody better than Lindholm and Toffoli, and they're both very good from in tight as well. And so, I just think there is a lot of good sense, good hockey reasoning to keep those guys together. And if it doesn't click and if they're not shooting the lights out five or six games in, 
let them keep playing together for a little bit. Let that play itself out. And if come like late November, early December, it's still not working, we'll then have a different decision, a different different conversation. But I like the way they looked in their final preseason game. I like the way Toffoli looks Friday night in that final preseason game specifically. So I think there is some really good good progression that we're seeing there. And I think they built throughout camp. And so that leaves the Kadri Manjapani duo and who's best there. And that's where it becomes really interesting because Dubé, I think is a great fit there. I also think Dubé is a great fit playing with Coleman and Backlund. But the problem mm-hmm. is, as you mentioned, they're kind of short a winger and, and they're short a middle six winger, top six winger, however you want to look at it. That's where the only area on the team where you can say maybe there's a hole. It's not a hole so big that Brad for living needs to fill it tomorrow or else they're going to lose every game they play. It's not going to be the difference between them making or missing the playoffs. They are a good enough team to be just fine in the regular season without having the perfectly ideal lineup. However, their goal is to win two, three playoff, four playoff rounds here. And so between now and the trade deadline, I think that's going to be a real big evaluation is to, is there anybody on this team internally that can step in and fill that job effectively? Kind of like what Oliver Shillington did on defense last year. If the answer is no, well, then you know what you got to do and you can make a deal like the Toffoli deal they made in season last year to try to upgrade your team. And, and that's, but I just don't think it needs to be now. And I do think they need that. I do think that there is a hole there. Milano and Eakin and then some of the, whether it was Pelche or Schwentz or any of the names that you thought could fill that role in training camp did it. And now they're going to go with Trevor Lewis, it looks like, with Backlund and Coleman on night one. I think that's going to be an option for them going up against some really high-powered opposition. I think Rooney could slot in there in other times, and you can move Rizicka in as the number four center at other times. But they're kind of in a spot where they have to rotate and do some different things in the bottom six because Dubé's moved up. And I think rightfully so to play in that top six, but it leaves you with a hole and, and kind of an ideal fit is missing on that Backlund-Coleman line. So that's going to be a work in progress, and I think it's going to be something that, that plays itself out as the year goes along. And I think it's going to be something that, that reaches a conclusion prior to the trade deadline. If there isn't an internal fix that makes itself available. I will let the fans and the listeners be the judge, but I'm sure that was the best 15 minutes of your day. And you've got flames talk coming up and, and I'm just so grateful that you saved your best stuff for me in that your show. won't. Yeah, I, wouldn't be. Even, I wouldn't even listen to flames talk now. It's going to be, don't say that. Just, just, just turn All it right. off. I got to get out of here. Thanks, Pat. Everybody listen to Flames Talk with Pat. I'm sure it's going to be great. Thank you so much for joining. That was Pat Steinberg on the Atlas Pizza Hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. All right, that's the end of the first show. Went a little bit long. I do apologize. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Again, you can listen to Hockey Central Sports at 960 live, 1 o'clock Mountain, Tuesday through Friday, or on demand wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Haley Salvi, and thanks to Logan Gordon for joining me. Thanks a lot, everyone. This has been Hockey Central on Sports at 960.